My name is Mira. And I'm Addie. And this is Open Casket. The supernatural podcast about the show that just won't stay dead. Addie, what's been up with you for the past week? Is that what we're doing? We're doing like a how have you been intro? This is fully an excuse for me to uh, say on the podcast how it's cursed and it gave me strep throat. Cursed by the ghost of Supernatural. Should have seen that one coming. Really should have. It was honestly, it's actually our fault for not like putting up any protections. We kind of deserve this. Yeah. You know, we really need those, uh, the little, oh, we are not at that episode yet. Never mind. <laughs> the anti-possession tattoos. Yeah, that's not for a while, right? No, that's coming up. Phantom Traveler. Oh my god, that's next time then. Yeah. Save that joke for next <laughs> Anyways. Let's we'll save that joke for next time. It's fine. Because this time we watched episodes one, two, and three. We're just gonna go through all three episodes and talk about the episode, our thoughts, and then maybe get into some specific discussion on characterization and the monster of the week, like how we feel about the monster of the week for each of the epi- uh for each of the episodes. This sounds like we didn't plan this. We kind of did. <laughs> so episode one, the pilot, is written by Eric Kripke and directed by David Nutter. So David Nutter actually directed just the first two episodes because I guess that's kind of his thing was directing pilots. He was well known for his work on the X-Files, but then after that, he sort of stuck to pilots and creations of shows, working on the pilots for Smallville, Without a Trace, The Mentalist, and Shameless. So I guess looking at scripts that had potential to move forward and then making sure they had kind of a solid foundation. Yeah, I think it really shows because I'm always surprised by how good the pilot is. It's a good pilot. Literally every time you've seen the pilot that I know that you've seen the pilot, <laughs> you've like immediately texted me and been like, hey, this is actually a really good pilot for a television show. Yeah, it's good because I think we'll get, I'll get into it more, but episode two, weakest of these three so far. But overall, pilot sets up a lot of good character building and world building moments. I think the monster of the week is actually pretty interesting. So it's giving us a taste for, you know, overall plot, um, the hunt for both their dad and their mom's killer, in addition to the monster of the week. And I mean, it's also pretty funny. I agree with you. I think the pilot's probably the strongest of these three, but I'm not sure that that's necessarily because of the story, because we'll get into it with the other two. I feel like the Monster of the Week stories they're tackling at the moment aren't really enough for, like, 40 minutes of television, if that makes sense. And the pilot has the advantage of also having the sort of 15 minutes or so at the beginning, and then the 5 minutes, 10 minutes, whatever it is at the end. So it's really only a 20-minute, 25-minute Monster of the Week episode. So they didn't have to fill that other... 15 minutes of like wandering through the woods or like driving to a random location and then talking and then driving back like the other two did not to knock a good portion of supernatural but i think those heavily heavy monster of the week episodes are where the show can get weaker and having that cushion of overarching plot definitely helps it out 
Yeah, definitely. We'll get more into this, I feel like, starting probably, like, season two is where it starts to really pick up. And then I know seasons three, four, and five. Not, maybe not season three necessarily, but definitely four and five. A good meaty monster of the week that also ties into the overall narrative is, like, where the show really shines in those seasons. And... To be frank, as I have mentioned, I don't really remember much past that, so I'm assuming it continues working like that, but who knows? Who knows? We'll find out. Yeah. Together. Together. All right. So let's get a little summary slash pitch for the pilot. What's it about? Estranged brothers Sam and Dean reunite to investigate supernatural deaths on the path to finding their missing father, John. So the pilot's sort of cold open murder the flashback to 22 years ago when sam and dean lose their mother to the mysterious magic fire magic fire and man fire and man are we gonna say what that is do most people know what that is i feel like for now we can we can be vague about it just because that is kind of the point of season one is figuring out what it is so while we're talking about the cold open itself I made a couple of notes about, like, things that stuck out to me. Um, Everybody looks super young. Samantha Smith looks young. This time I really noticed uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan because there's currently a TikTok trend (laughs) that has a, like, screen grab of him from, I think, late season Walking Dead. I've never seen The Walking Dead. But he... And, like, he's... How many years older is he than Jensen Ackles? He's, like, eight years older than him or something. All of the ages of characters are kind of off at the moment, but we only see him for, like, three shots. But he looks younger. He looks like, uh, like... (laughs) A a normal person? I don't know. I'm trying to figure out how to (laughs) describe this. Not the dad bod you Yeah. (laughs) Also, I, because I was, wanted to look up her name, Samantha Smith, the lady that plays Mary. Mm-hmm. I was just looking her up, and apparently she's only three years younger than Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Oh, so she's only, like, five years older than Jensen Ackles. But it also means that she is, like, too old to be playing Mary within the chronology of the show in the opening scene? I don't know. Did they know how old Mary was yet? Like- I doubt it canonically how old was she supposed to be when she died i think she is supposed to be around dean's age i'm just thinking about stuff we find out in season four i don't know if you've seen that episode but i don't i also don't think that was established yet so yeah because it was really they just had she's like the mother of a four-year-old yes and i will get into that as well because that that gets complicated but (laughs) Um, I was gonna say, speaking of ages, I let out the hugest sigh of relief when I realized I'm still younger than Dean. (laughs) (laughs) It's like the worst feeling in the world, growing older than your fictional Blorbos, you know? So, being younger than him, I'm still, I'm like, whew. I am the same age as Sam now. Oh, God. Do we want to move on to the episode itself? Yes. So then swoosh supernatural we uh cut into a a dorm a apartment i've always been confused about this it looks like an apartment 
It looks like a really nice apartment they shouldn't be able to afford. Yeah, it looks like a really nice apartment, and the buildings at the end of the apartment are all, like, white and look like they have marble columns, and I'm like, what's going on here? But- It's Halloween. It's Halloween, yes. Jess, love of my life, uh, in her little sexy nurse outfit. And Sam has the same picture of his parents that was in the opening. The first edited family photo in the history of Supernatural of Sam, Samantha Smith, and Jeffrey Dean Morgan in front of, I assume, the house they use as the Lawrence house. Yeah, so Mm -hmm. Sam has that photo on his uh, cabinet thing. I had a sort of, I guess... A bit of a rhetorical question, just like food for thought for everyone. Do you think they tried to like make Jess look like Mary or was it just like early 2000s? They're like, we want a hot blonde chick. I think they did because they wanted the mirroring of the beginning and the end of the episode. So they wanted her to look like Mary just for that. Like, like just for visuals. Yeah, visual symmetry. Not like some weird Oedipus thing or like want to get a little Freudian on it. Like there's a lot of. A lot of reasons why they might have wanted that thing and i just wonder how much thought went into it yeah i don't know how much thought would have gone into it who knows this is supernatural they could have made a decision and not thought it through so we get uh just telling sam like hey we're getting ready for the party or whatever uh she's like oh you never dress up for halloween and he's like i don't like halloween and then cut to the bar sam's hanging out with his friends We find out that he is going to law school, or he's planning to, and he got a 174, which notably, (laughs) notably, notably is uh, lower than Elle Woods, which is something that the internet loves. She is the it girl, the moment. Sam cannot compare. But yeah, so during this exchange, we get a little more on the family backstory with Sam's friends being all like, oh man, you're the golden boy of the family. They must be so proud. And Sam's like, they don't know. I don't tell them anything and they don't want to hear it. Establishing the problems with the family. Just in case you thought that they were fine after their mother died mysteriously in in a ceiling fire, you know, just to clarify, like, yeah, they're a little messed up. So then uh, once we get through that scene... We move back to the apartment, and then some mysterious person breaks into their house. But we get a little choreographed fight scene that I honestly couldn't see any of it. It was too dark. Yeah, watching Supernatural on my TV in my room has proven to me that it is too dark. At first, I thought people were just, like, not setting their TVs correctly or, like, watching it with a bunch of fingerprints no the the show's lit too dark yep but i'm sure they put a lot of work into that fight scene and i'm sure it was great (laughs) couldn't see it though (laughs) um dean like pins sam down and then lets him up and then is like yeah whatever we're gonna talk they have to have the um Dean has him pin- pinned down, but they have to do do that reversal to show. Guess yeah. what? Sammy's still got it. Yeah, they do. They're both fighters. And then Jess walks in. And Dean hits on her. I love the Smurfs. <laughs> there was something about this scene where I don't know why, 
But you know how Jensen Ackles sometimes gets possessed by the spirit of Dean Winchester? <laughs> no, but okay. <laughs> it It's just got something to do. Like, he kind of clicks into it, and it, it, like, feels very natural. For some reason, like, this scene specifically popped out at me as not having that quality. And I'm not sure, because it's not the first scene they filmed. No, I agree. It's, like, the opposite of that. <laughs> yeah, it's, like, it feels much more, like delivery than acting i don't know i don't know and i guess part of it is it, it is still the pilot you are still trying to figure out who dean is it's that sort of sleazy hitting on girls but it just comes across as like super cringe yeah a little bit then uh dean's trying to get sam in to come with him into another room to like talk about something and sam's like you can say whatever you want in front of jess and then dean says Dad's on a hunting trip and he hasn't been home in a few days. And Sam's like, okay, I, I gotta I gotta get out of here real quick. Notably, though, Hooper says Dad hasn't been home in a couple days. And Sam's like, yeah, he does that. He's a drunk. And then when it's the hunting trip, he's like, oh, man. So just establishing John Winchester, alcoholic. Is that one of the first things we learn about their dad? That he's an alcoholic? Um, I guess it's not spelled out, but I guess... What it? What is it exactly that he's on Miller time? Yeah, is what he says. Yeah. Oh yeah. So yeah. So um, they make a plan. We have a fun little scene that's all exposition of like, yeah, we grew up like warriors, and like he gave me a gun when I was scared of the thing in my closet. And Dean's like, yeah, but he was doing it right because we know what's hiding in the dark and so we should be prepared to fight it and something something dad something something obsession something something the thing that killed mom that's basically that scene i guess i can't really say how it would read for a first time viewer but looking back on it it is very like exposition dump for the scene but i guess you need that it's a pilot i think that was the most exposition dumpy the pilot got it still had its moments but it usually was, like, paced out a bit better than that. Yeah, definitely. Because th there was a lot of, like, he gave me a gun when I was nine years old. He had to do it, and this is why he had to, and why I supported him, and why you didn't support him, and how we ended up in this crazy situation. The weapons training and melting the silver into bullets? Man, Dean, we were raised like warriors. <laughs> that scene, for some reason, always, or that line specifically, like, that line delivery always makes me, like, crack up a little bit. I don't know why. <laughs> oh, also, I wanted to say, so they play the um, a phone recording of the last thing they've heard from their dad, and Sam goes, you know there's EVP on this. And I'm like, what is that even supposed to mean? <laughs> Did you look it up? Yeah, because it's like the an audio disturbance that people go, oh, that means it's ghost. But like, <laughs> it doesn't make sense the way he said that. Were they just like dumping ghost terminology in this? Because you don't say, oh, there's EVP on that. <laughs> Unless it's like there's there's an EVP layer on that recording, but there's so many things about these this family where it's like, oh, this is very clearly like you people know what you're talking about, but like nobody around you knows what you're talking about. And because we as the audience are kind of like filled into their perspective, it doesn't seem as strange, but yeah, that's one of those things. It's just one of those days. <laughs> But I guess that also, while I personally don't 
think it makes any sense how they said that. Not that I'm an expert ghost hunter or anything, but um, I guess it does, again, give them a point more in the subtle, like, oh, you know, Sam's been out of the hunt for a long time, but he's still got those skills, like Dean even explicitly says. And then Dean talks about, like, the thing that their dad was hunting, and he pulls out just a bunch of printouts of missing persons, which, like, baby, that makes you look like a serial killer. Then the line that haunted me for forever, but then I actually found out why it was, t- we haven't talked in the past two years. Yes. Yeah. So, apparently... Sam was originally supposed to be 20 in the pilot, and that's the reason why. Okay, but then they made him 22. They changed it to 22, and then I don't know if they changed Dean from 24 to 26, but if they didn't, that makes more sense with, like, episode 3 and the kid, and him talking about, like, being the same age as the kid. Uh, We'll get to it when we get to Dead in the Water, but anyway. yeah. Because we were like, oh, does that mean for Sam's first two years of college they were still in contact? Yeah, that's... They just forgot to change that line. They just (laughs) forgot to change it. Something else interesting, I don't... um, I think it was during this conversation. I mean, they talk about Sam leaving for college a couple times in the episode, but... Sam says, I wasn't leaving. I was just going to college. Dad's the one who said I couldn't come back. I guess part of me was like, so... Did he? Ha- do you think he had any intentions to go back after graduating college? Or is this just him pulling a, um, actually, it's your fault? I feel like he, he was probably planning on graduating, kind of setting down roots, stepping away from it, and then we have not met this person yet, but then probably becoming, like, sort of a Bobby figure of, mm-hmm. like legal counsel or something i don't know because <laughs> so so hunters stop getting accused of being serial killers yeah maybe something like that i don't know or maybe he just wanted to do something good for the world yeah. and so he was going to become a pro bono lawyer but that was just a little thought i had not that it probably wouldn't matter in the long run though even if 18 year old sam was like yeah i'm gonna go to college but that doesn't mean i'm giving up hunting or whatever because meeting jess and all of that probably would have really changed his perspective in a universe where their dad was like, it's fine. Yeah. So next up is the, what I call, what I would call like the traditional cold open scene with the guy in the car who runs across the woman in white, spoiler alert, it's a woman in white who looks vaguely like Amy Lee in an Evanescence music video. One thing, we have this confirmed that people do know about, like, the rumors of the woman in white, but, like, I feel like people, especially in small towns, know about alleged crime scenes or, like, people's houses where shit went down. Like, (laughs) why would he drive to her house? But that's not really important. Um, Well, it wasn't, it wasn't a crime scene because she committed suicide. I mean, she also committed murder, but no one knew about that. I guess, Yeah. No one knew about the- what is it when you kill your- is- is it patricide? No, that's when you kill your parents. Oh my god, are we gonna have a Google intermission again? I think so. Filicide. <laughs> yeah, no one knew about the filicide at the time, so. Nobody knew about the filicide, they drive up to the house, uh, she's like, I can never go home, and he 
walks up to the house and like goes to because I remember we get a shot of inside of the house because we see a picture of her with her kids mm-hmm. inside in the set design. There's like a little mini explosion. Then he gets back in the car to drive away and then he gets the car gets driven to the bridge and then we have our ketchup splatter. Yeah, he exploded blood from both ends. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, Bleh. I'm like, what happened there? Because <laughs> it is like shooting out in two different directions. It's not like he just like exploded everywhere. It's very... It literally is like ketchup splatter. Like two people inside had had like almost empty ketchup bottles. Yeah. I loved it though. I think I, that was fun. It was, I think it was the right amount of scary. Because it's like, just, just so you guys know, this is the ghost murder show. These people are dying. Yeah. So now we cut to Sam and Dean at the gas station, which gives us a little bit more exposition about their situation and how they kind of live their lives, including the fake credit cards and Sam making fun of Dean's music case, which is where you get driver picks the music, shotgun shuts his cake hole. I have to say, I don't disagree with Sam necessarily uh dissing the music choice probably just the medium like yeah you gotta update the cassette tapes it's 2005 but also i think that was like cute cheeky character building of the like oh yeah this guy he's got cassettes you know he's got cassettes so i thought it was cute and he does credit card fraud (laughs) that's also cute (laughs) that's also quirky um (laughs) let him girl boss let him. I feel like this one's gaslight. <laughs> so then Sam and Dean roll up to the crime scene, looking like American Eagle models. They're um, federal marshals, or I actually don't know what their cover was. I already forgot. Not that it matters. I think it is federal marshals, actually, because we get the Phineas and Ferb moment. And then... And then Dean says a cab. <laughs> Dean says a cab. So this is also kind of establishes the norm for how they're going to get their information of, you know, flashing the fake IDs and asking those sort of leading questions to try and get a follow-up, get some more information about the victims or... Yes. Also, important uh, note, as they're leaving the scene, the actual federal agents show up and uh, Dean basically just goes hey, Agent Mulder or Agent Scully, and then, like, starts walking away really fast. So, I don't know. (laughs) That was just important to me to point out. It was funny. It's funny. It's funny. It's a bit. Okay. Um, so they go track down the... The goth girlfriend. Yeah. (laughs) Sam, I think it's Sam, asked her if there's anything strange or out of the ordinary, which I feel like are synonyms, and... Then she talks about the rumor about that stretch of road. It's a quick little scene. I feel like they tend they start to skip over this part of the Monster of the Week episodes in the future, where they're kind of going around collecting information, collecting rumors, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But I'm not really sure. So because yeah. then they go straight to like the library research thing, you know, yeah. of using not Google. So they use fake Google to find out what happened on that bridge, really. Um, so we have, I think Sam is the one who manages to find the articles about the woman who committed suicide on the bridge. Yes. So they're like, okay, step one, we're going to go check out the bridge. 
Um, I do want to say real quick about the, the articles that they find. On the screen, you can read a little bit about it. And so the she died in 1981, and it says that she was 24 and that her husband was 30. Um, and they had two small children. Yes. I'm doing some math, and I don't know how I feel about it. Yeah. Their kids looked like they were in elementary school. Yeah. <laughs> or like kindergarten. Yeah. So, just something to think about as we learn more about her husband. <laughs> yeah. We move on to the bridge at night. RIP to updating the US road slash bridge system. The only reason they're able to figure out which bridge this is is because they haven't, like, renovated it at all in 25 years since the lady died. We get the great moment of Dean talking about, like, their mom mm -hmm. and, like, Sam- Or, is Sam just talking about how, like, dad's obsessed with the thing that killed her? Uh, the only reason I remember this is because I have a note here that's like, Dean Mom's just some lady to me, which is always just <laughs> the funniest thing to me. Not funny, because it's not funny, because he didn't get to know his mother, but like, truly, Mary is just some lady to Sam. Yeah, I had the note of Sam being like, Mom's gone. I don't even know her, bro. And Dean, my idealization of our mother represents the only happiness I've ever felt in my life. Don't say that ever again. And I, I think that's that kind of summarizes the scene because sam's like oh we gotta get back for my interview like we can't keep following dad around because he's very clearly not here and dean asks him like oh so you're really just gonna marry this girl who you haven't told anything about like your life you haven't told her about like the truth of the world you're a hunter you were raised to be a hunter it's part of who you are and you're just ignoring it i don't know i feel like in a weird way, because Sam doesn't remember anything from before, right, he he knows that, like, the way that they grew up is different, but he also doesn't see that strict separation between, like, in the life and out of the life in the way that Dean does, maybe? I don't know. I don't know if that's anything, but I feel like it is. Yeah, because I guess Sam just always grew up with his dad, and to an extent, Dean being like, we gotta find the thing that got your mom but the why to it all and like that emotional impact isn't really there for sam because it's he never knew her he never met her i i'm kind of on team sam for this one of him being like she's just some woman <laughs> i'm on team sam for like she's just some lady and i'm also kind of but i also see where dean's coming from of like you're just gonna lie to this girl her the entire, like, 60 years or whatever that you're gonna be married to her if you get married and, like, live and grow old and die. Like, you're... Yeah. Always going... Because she's not part of this, you're always going to be separate from that. You're never going to be able to live fully authentically with someone who doesn't live in the life. Mm -hmm. Or if someone you're... He would be, like, purposefully hiding and excluding a part of himself in a huge like, fundamental part of his upbringing and what makes him who he is. She would be kept out of that, which is not great. Bad, even. <laughs> yeah, bad, even. So then they have this conversation. It gets heated. Uh, Dean pushes Sam up against the railing of the bridge. And 
for some reason, it was specifically, like, that shot that made me realize that for... Jared Padalecki is so tall (laughs) that he makes Jensen Ackles look small. Especially, like, I feel like in season one, where he's still kind of, like... For reference, Jensen Ackles is, like, six foot two or something. Or, like, six foot three. Like, he's not a short man by any stretch, but... Is it rude if I say he kind of gives off, like, short king vibes? No. Oh, or I guess he's six foot exactly, maybe? Things that aren't important, but are important to us. Dean is a very, very tall man. Or not very, very tall man, but, like, they're both so tall that they make everyone else on the show look tiny. Moving on. Uh, So then they find, after, like, getting knocked off the bridge and haunted by their car they go to a motel and manage to find their dad's room yes which really looks like a serial killer room yes i think there's also some fun world building there when they're talking about all the different protections that he was using yeah part of me found it funny that you know we find out a bit later you know this is the cheater killer this ghost kills men who cheat and sam makes the comment of dad must have been real scared of whatever is out there and it doesn't necessarily have to to be you know this ghost in particular maybe you know there's other stuff going on in his life obviously but i'm like oh man john winchester scared of the cheater killer yeah oh god then uh dean goes out for something it's not important and uh he gets arrested and he makes the my boobs comment that's a really funny joke i, I stand by that <laughs> yeah is there anything about you that's real my boobs my boobs uh, so Sammy gets to go be a hunter now while Dean's in jail or in holding, I guess. And I just want to say I love he's interrogating the ghost's husband. <laughs> and the guy is making like the biggest like, I don't know if you know the game, but L.A. Noir-esque lying faces, very big press X to doubt. <laughs> yeah, literally. This scene kind of infused something in me of thinking about Sam getting pitched as like the good guy who can talk to people even though it's not really his role in these three episodes even though he it hmm how do I say this he doesn't want to help these people necessarily I guess it's different for episode one because Jess hasn't been brutally murdered, but we kind of get an insight into who, what he might have been like before, where he's, like, talking to people, he's also kind of pushing this guy to, like, give up more information, um, and the way that he was doing it specifically, he was kind of revealing the supernatural while also maintaining... maintaining the potential that it was still something that could have, like, a realistic explanation. Or just be like, oh yeah, I'm just mentioning this. Which, from what I've seen of the original pitch of the show, like, that's really what they were going for. Or at least what Eric Kripke had in his mind before they reworked it. So, I don't know. It was was interesting. Yeah, because there is, um, I have more notes to in episodes two and three about the way that Sam interrogates people, I guess. Yeah, it it is an interrogation. 
he's good at talking to people, but he's so aggressive. He's so aggressive about it. Part of me is like, he is also wants to go be a lawyer, so I guess he has the right temperament. Yeah, it does track, especially if he's in, not necessarily like pre-law track, but like something similar to that of like making your point and getting other people to say the thing that you want them to say. He's a fucking debate lord. <laughs> oh my god! Sam would kill at Model UN. <laughs> For some reason I thought you were gonna say moderator, like some like fucking Reddit moderator. I was Discord mod. <laughs> Are you Discord mod Sam? He keeps having to kick Dean out of his own servers because he won't shut up. It's for mis- sliding the rule, no misogyny. <laughs> Literally. Okay. Okay. <laughs> this anyway, this man's uh, wife died, and he uh, may or may not have cheated. Probably yes. Yeah, he cheated uh, on his twenty-four-year-old wife. On his twenty, you know, twenty-four. It's getting old. You need a younger, younger woman. Leonardo DiCaprio ass. <laughs> uh, then we cut to back to Dean being interrogated and we get the reveal of john's journal that has a bunch of random stuff in it and uh makes them all seem insane one of the pages says dean 35 111 and then we have the scene with where sam has called in a fake 911 call to get everyone out of the station so resourceful our little boy yeah um, maybe don't leave a journal full of paper clips right next to the guy you think is a career criminal. Um, <laughs> then Dean, he used the paperclip to get out, uh, takes the journal, finds a phone booth, calls Sam, who is driving the Impala. There is a shocking amount of Sam driving the Impala, by which I mean two instances. Yeah, but I mean, that's two out of three. That's two out of three episodes where Sam drives the Impala, um... Then the woman in white shows up. I do want to say, like, right before that, they're talking about um, their dad's journal. And yeah, Dean mentions, like, oh, you know, he, he, like, the usual, he left us some coordinates. And Sam calls it marine crap. Are coordinates marine crap? I mean, maybe. Obviously, they can't have the cops figuring out, like, oh, he left coordinates. But I mean, like, I don't think that's that strange (laughs) you get a set of two numbers you go oh maybe it's coordinates that's not like things you only learn in the marines they're also not real coordinates but (laughs) yeah maybe sam just thinks everything their dad taught them is marine crap and you know what he's valid (laughs) he's valid and it's not out of the question anyway sam gets the woman in white shows up in the impala and or i guess sam's like I haven't been unfaithful. And then she's like, you will be. And then Sam's bodily autonomy gets ignored and or violated for the first of what I'm sure will be not very many instances. Wink, wink, wink. This will certainly not be a theme. <laughs> Any thoughts on that? Um, It was really gross when she stuck her hand in him. <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> Again, it was like, it's 2005 effects but i thought it was pretty good still spooky and then um he drives the car into the house so that she will face her children she gotta face her past she gotta face her past um and we get dean shows up at some point i forget the order of events yes and the ghost is like the ghost starts like throwing furniture at them 
Yeah, the ghost sees the force. Um, note, for episode one, they have a ghost that they don't defeat in the traditional way. Thoughts? Which, by the way, the traditional way of salt and burn the bones. Yes. She, like, gets haunted by her own ghost and then is liquefied. Is that ever explained what happened or ever revisited of any other ghost being haunted by ghosts? Um, I know there's definitely ghosts where you have to do something specific related to their death. Like, you can't just use, like, salt or, like, burn or, like, burn something or whatever. But for this, I guess it would have been, like, she committed suicide so that she wouldn't have to face her actions. So maybe coming back to the house is, like, her way of, like, facing her actions and coming to terms with it and moving on. Even though she did get, like, attacked by the ghost children. Yeah, because that didn't feel like a a sort of closure or anything. That felt like more (laughs) vengeance. But, you know... Something, something, face your family. Something, something. Forcing you to go home and deal with your past. No matter the trauma parents may have inflicted on their children. Literally. Yeah, I guess I'm maybe thinking about it more. This would have been more relevant if it was like a novel series. Hint, hint. But um, <laughs> I've maybe just because of the way that television structured, you didn't want it to be a traditional like salt and burn. But maybe establishing the standard first and then going away from that. I don't know. But also, it wasn't that big of a deal because it worked perfectly fine. Like we have already talked about it, the pacing for episode one is probably the best of the three that we've seen. So, because mm. it would have added, it would have been weird them going to find her body. Because they did know where it was. They found out where it was buried in the back of the house. So I guess they also could have gone and done that afterwards if you want to think about the lore, if it matters to you. It's not like they didn't find the body. Yeah, I guess so. But anyway, we get through that. The kids suck her into the floor where she drowned them, maybe. Um, There's some really weird rubbery looking like getting liquefied and then uh dean asks if sam wants to go to the coordinates sam's like yo i got a law school interview like we gotta we gotta get back he says thanks but no thanks camera facing jensen ackles's face journey and he's like all right all right i'll take you home and he drives him to stanford yeah and sam's like let me know if you find him um maybe see you later Ah ha ha Ahaha, uh-huh, maybe. And Dean is so sad his brother's leaving him. Dean is so sad. He just wants to be loved. He just wants to be loved. And especially post-finale, like, we can't get into Dean right now, but... Or I guess we can. Whatever. I'm going to. Jensen made some comments. I forget if this was, like, in some extra thing or at a panel or something. He was talking about how... Don't know if it was like he was playing it this way or if it's sort of retrospectively, but Dean was so scared that Sam was going to say no at the beginning of this episode. And you can kind of tell because he's so flippant in a way, but you don't really know enough about Dean yet to narrow in on that, I guess. Anyway... We're not talking about Dean. We're talking about just getting murdered. So, <laughs> Sam walks into the house apartment dorm 
And interestingly, you can hear static under the soundtrack, which I thought was a neat touch. And rest in peace, Jess. Some pretty good acting from Jared Padalecki at seeing his the love of his life, the girl he was going to propose to, like, just burning on the ceiling. This is specifically where you can see the shift between the CGI and real fire. Apparently, basically, there's the CGI fire for um, her on the ceiling, and then everything else in the room is real fire. The thing that they were told was, if you start feeling hot, run away. But Jared Padalecki got, like, too into it. And so Jensen was just, like, dragging him out and being like, yo, come on, I'm getting hot. We don't want to catch on fire. Um, and so we come full circle with another woman dying on the ceiling above Sam. As his big brother Dean pulls him out of the hellfire. Yeah. Yeah, that's our pilot. (laughs) That's our pilot. Uh, Sam saying we got work to do, something, something. Sam as a mirror to John. Is this anything? I already know it kind of is, but I want to form my own opinion by paying attention to it, so. That feel when your love, when the love of your life dies on the ceiling. Yeah, literally. Um, do you want some fun facts about this episode? Yeah. So, this is the only episode of the entirety of Supernatural to be filmed in LA. <laughs> They're in Vancouver for the rest of it, right? They filmed in Vancouver, yeah. The first ever scene filmed... According to Jensen Ackles in 2012, so it might not be right, but according to his memory in 2012, it was the library scene where they're Googling oh. things on fake Google. Fugle, if you will. And as I'm sure people are aware, if they have done more than two seconds of research, the original broadcast slash DVD music versus the Netflix music is different because Netflix couldn't get the same rights Something to do with, like, the WB versus the CW versus Netflix's contracts. I forget what the specifics of it are. But were you watching on Netflix or were you watching on... I was watching on Netflix. Yeah. So, the gas station scene. Uh, so that scene starts on Ramblin' Man by Allman Brothers Band. And then it kicks into Back in Black by ACDC, which is notable because... Uh, Sam's holding a Metallica cassette, and so Dean puts that cassette into the uh, cassette player on the car, and so there's, like, a little bit of an inside joke of, like, Dean thinks that ACDC is Metallica, because his cassettes are labeled incorrectly, because they're all ripped cassettes. Okay. Alright, so moving on to episode two, we've got the teleplay by Eric Kripke and the story by Ron Milbauer and Terry Hughes Burton. Once again, this is directed by David Nutter. I guess, fun little fact, I don't know. I was just checking to see the history of the writers. Ron Milbauer and Terry Burton, they only wrote the story for this and the story for Bloody Mary, and that's their only Supernatural credits. Huh. I wonder if they were, like, CW people that just got pulled in for the first season to, like, pad out the writer's room. Maybe. And, and please, please, WB, WB. They haven't they haven't gone to the dark side yet. WB, <laughs> sorry. I was reading some interview stuff about the production and formation of Supernatural, and I guess a lot of the people who came onto the show was recommendations from David Nutter, 
who we have established is just like a guy who makes shows, gets shows off the ground. Come on, be generous. Helps projects with potential <laughs> get their foot in the door. Um, Do we want to say like the summary of it? Yeah. All right. So Dean and Sam follow John's coordinates to a hunt for missing campers in Colorado. So overall, I just want to say I didn't like this episode. I thought it was boring. It's the first of the really weird outdoor lighting where everybody's skin is washed out. It also felt super low stakes because um, we'll get into this, but we have like the cold open. The guy isn't even murdered in the cold open and we see him alive. I don't know. He's kidnapped and actively being cannibalized over the course of it. So, like, I feel like that's stakes. I guess, but I don't know. There's something about this episode that makes me not give a shit about anything that's going on in this episode. That also partially might be because of the, like, fundamental flaw of the monster. (laughs) And the whole concept behind this episode. Don't be racist challenge failed, maybe? It's just, this is on par for 2005, I think. It's also on par for Supernatural's sensitivity when it comes to other cultures. Yeah, this monster's folklore has been appropriated for horror even within, like, the past few years. So the bar has unfortunately not been lifted off the ground yet, and it definitely hadn't been in 2005. Yep. Luckily... Uh, they don't actually really get into it in the episode, so we don't have to either. They just kind of have an exposition dump. Um, anyway, if we want to get into the actual events of the episode, we start with the cold open, which is the brother and two of his friends just camping, uh, sending out the last video that we see. This is sort of the more traditional, um... What I consider, like, the victim POV Mm -hmm. cold opens, which I'm not sure if there's a term for it in horror TV, but that's just kind of how I was thinking of it. I will say also, just because it first comes up in the cold open, and I think it would have been better if they had continued with it throughout the entire course of the episode, um, the monster that they chose and the way they chose to portray it was pretty effective if you didn't want to use makeup or CGI and just have sort of like an implied monster in the distance. Um, but you can definitely tell it's a guy in like makeup with like a C- not a CGI hand, like a prosthetic hand doing claw marks. It works pretty well. I don't know. I think the, the actual like horror aspects of it might have worked better for me than for you. And that's because I don't watch horror. Yeah, I think it's it's not bad. I think it is kind of scary i would say i found this episode the scariest of the three that's fair i think i think it was scarier but for me i guess part of the reason why i didn't like the monster of the week is that it didn't feel like a supernatural creature really in the beginning (laughs) it just felt like a guy the opening was it just felt like a bear attack yeah i that makes sense yeah so not that it wasn't scary um, it just, it felt like a bear attack. I thought what was more scary about the opening scene was dying with your wee-wee out, peeing in the woods. <laughs> yeah, that tracks. Next, we get, like, the supernatural wash screen, and Sam at the grave. Uh, Sam's really sad. Jared Padlock, he does some cry acting, and then he wakes up to a green screen driving in the car. Can I just say, I feel like 
from episode one to three, the green screen car gets worse. Yeah, it really does. I don't know why. The like color matching between the inside of the car and the outs the outside, like the color matching is yeah, off. It just it slowly gets worse. Uh, we also get the continuity note of it's been a week since last episode. Mm-hmm. So we have a sense of continuity. We very quickly drop that because we don't have a sense of continuity for the rest of it. <laughs> All right. So so Sam wakes up and his big brother's worried about him. He's like, oh, do you want to drive my car? <laughs> for Like we were saying, there's a lot of Sammy driving. There's a lot of, and I guess I only really noticed this because of, uh, I, I, recently watched the jenny nicholson vampire diaries (laughs) video again i think this is related to what i was trying to say about sam talking to people in episode one is that they tell us a lot that like oh sam's the sensitive one like blah 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 blah, this that the other thing dean doesn't let anyone drive his car but within these first three episodes we are in a situation where this the circumstance is forcing everyone to act in the way that is not sort of the pre-canon established way that they would act So, in episode one, we kind of get a sense of who Sam was before Jess's death. But then, post that, it's like, he can never go back to how he was before Jess's death because Jess has died in this very specific way. And so, like, episode one, Sam is kind of the only reference point, or I guess counterpoint we have to the way that Sam acts going forward. Which, I don't know if that is anything, but it it makes sense to me as a notable characterization choice i guess because you could have had just die in the beginning <laughs> which is you could have just had a cold open with two women dying back to back <laughs> anyway then we go up to the ridge and we get gather some information um We've got sam being one of my favorite liars again and just being like yeah we're what are they conservationists or no they're college kids they're students at UC Boulder, yeah, writing a paper, and uh, then the guy calls them out on it, and basically the, is he the park ranger? Yeah, basically gives them all of the paperwork they would need to, like, um, to v- track down the victim's sister. Yeah, to track down the victim's sister. Interestingly, like I was kind of mentioning, um, Sam wants to just rush in. Dean's the one that's kind of pushing for them to actually scope it out and, like, figure out what's going on, get all of the details, this, that, the other thing. Which he specifically points out is not like Sam. I made the note of, like, Dean's being like, oh my god, wait, we can't both be shoot first, ask questions later. One of us is supposed to be responsible. And since you're not thinking clearly, I guess I have to be the responsible one. And then they go talk to the sister, um, who is uh, Gina Holden, who plays Claudia Stolinski in a deleted (laughs) scene from Teen Wolf. This is going to turn into the, how many times can we mention Teen Wolf in our Supernatural podcast? Uh, I will also note, my TV started freezing, like, literally in the middle of this scene where they're talking to the sister when they like open the door and she's like kind of dean's like vaguely flirt talking with her and she like compliments the car this is the first time where my 
TV completely froze, and it keeps going for the entire rest through this episode and through the next one. It literally took me, like, two and a half hours to watch these two episodes. So unfortunate. You gotta really analyze the set building, though. Yeah. Really. Alright, so, as they're talking to the sister, you know, they learn more information about the case, where the brother was at, if anything strange was going on, and then she reveals that she also plans to go to the ridge and find her brother herself. Um, There are a couple of lines where Dean's like, her brother's missing, she's obviously not going to sit this one out. Further pushing that idea of, like, Dean's going to do anything for his family. You know, he gets it, he relates to her. Yeah, he really understands her perspective on the whole thing as, like, the eldest child. Or is she the oldest or is she just eldest daughter? It doesn't really matter. Dean relates. Um, And then there's a scene of the brothers at a bar. Uh, They're kind of talking. Do they have more missing persons files printed out and taped to the walls? They are actively talking about a bunch of missing persons in this bar and how there's no survivors. And then they find the only survivor who is an old man that they then kind of they don't bully him but they do kind of press him for information in the next scene yeah again sam being a little aggressive i also had the question the old guy is all like why did it leave me alive why did it leave him alive oh because he was sleeping in front of the fire so it might have something to do with the fire oh yeah yeah that makes sense he does show like the huge scar yeah, so maybe it, like, swiped at him to take him out, but he was too close to the fire for it to feel comfortable grabbing him, so he just, like, it just, like, left him. Yeah, we're piecing it together. I feel like that's a good enough explanation. They really didn't want you to think about it too- that hard. But anyways, now they're hiking. <laughs> yeah, they're walking through the woods. Um, Roy basically doesn't believe them, which, like, fair enough. They're, they are lying. Um, Dean talks to Haley and is like, yeah, we're looking for our dad. And, and that's the most honest he's ever been with a woman. Which is a lie. Like, we don't have to get into this. This is going to be two episodes from now in our podcast, but it's not the most honest he's been with a woman. But um, Roy and Dean are bickering. And Roy, why are you as a tour guide or as a guide taking them through places where there are bear traps and not pointing them out when you have, to your knowledge, two people there who are not hikers? That seems kind of, like, a bad job on his part. But also, Dean is pretending to be a ranger, so... So it kind of deserves that little scare. Um, And then we start the first of what I consider the... Sam and Dean end up in a life-or-death situation where they have to take charge of a crowd of people that don't want them to take charge. Which is, like, as you can imagine, a pretty common plot point in these episodes... They, there's so many smash cuts between scenes and, like, specifically, like, where you can see that the, the commercial break is, but they really add to the je ne sais quoi. And then we get sort of a nighttime scene. They're setting up because their bags get stolen after hearing the people yelling. And Sam and Dean start having a little brother-to-brother chat. Sam posing the... So important question of why are we here? <laughs> why do we gotta help these people? Like, fuck them kids. Fuck them kids. Sam says fuck them kids. 
I found it really interesting that Sam thinks that his dad will help him find the thing that killed Jess. Like, that one, he's going to get taken back, and B, his dad will actually let them help in a way that makes Sam feel like he's being productive. Like, he's not just being sent on these, like, sort of errands that his dad thinks of, like, that he's- that Sam and Dean are actually going to be helping John track down the thing that killed, to their knowledge, Mary and Jess. And I I guess for Sam, though, this is, like, the closest he's ever felt to his father, probably. Probably, yeah. Meanwhile, you've got, like, Dean, who's also kind of in this conversation, talking about, like, yeah, we gotta do what Dad tells us to do. So you've automatically got Sam kind of putting himself as John's equal, and then Dean following John's orders, which is something that's not going to come up. We're not going to have it explicitly stated until later on, but it is something that characterization-wise gets rooted sort of even this early and gets reinforced up until it becomes actually plot relevant. Don't worry, guys. We'll be sure to point those out. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. (laughs) I was going to say, we didn't... The, the fame. This is when the famous line happens. We can't move past that. Oh yeah, it is. It's we can't move past saving that. Saving people, hunting things. That's the family business, baby. <laughs> baby. So many podcasts named after that. And a beer company. <laughs> and a beer company that now sells blue and green shop glasses. <laughs> we're normal. We're normal. We're normal. We're normal. We're normal. Um, but I guess again, just to counter how we're talking about um, Sam sort of putting him on that equal footing with John and being on this vengeance quest. You have Dean also there who does want to, you know, find the thing that killed his mom. But a huge part of it that he explicitly says here is our family is so screwed. Maybe we can help other people along the way and sort of prevent what happened to him to happen to anybody else. Because to some degree, he knows that what happened to him in his childhood is fundamentally fucked. We talked about a little bit about how, like, Sam didn't know his mother, and so he doesn't really have a before. I feel like part of Dean's motivation behind really, truly believing in the saving people hunting things thing is that he does remember the before. And so he wants to kind of keep as many people, at least in my head, the way that I think about Dean's characterization, he wants to keep as many people in the before so that they don't have to go on these crazy vengeance quests, right? Like, they don't have to turn into what he saw his family turn into, even though he was, like, either four or six (laughs) when it happened. He has kind of built up this before time in his head to be so fundamentally important. And so we're going to save people before we hunt things. That's, like, the whole point of it. And so even if dad's not here and he is just kind of having us do these random side quests for him, like, there's people right here right now that we can save. And so we have to go do that first before we go to try find dad. And it's sort of with this episode of them going to the coordinates and seeing that it is just a case, not like some message from their dad, where they realize that, oh, he wants us to pick up where he left off before that. They didn't actually know if he was okay. And 
I don't think Sam cared. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sam fully was just like, let's find dad because that's like the next step to me finding the person that killed Jess. So anyway, overnight, uh, Roy dies and then uh, we get the explanation of the monster. We're not really going to get into it. And basically TLDR, fire is how we kill this thing. Uh, we get a random CGI guy in the bushes. And I believe this is in the morning. And then we get a scene with a bunch of people sprinting through the woods because the thing's trying to, like, lure them all out. If you just thought you could never see what was happening because it was too dark, they're here to prove to you. It can be too bright and you still can't see what's happening. My thought with this scene is, like, you really pointed out the bear trap and no one's getting their leg caught in a bear trap? Chekhov's bear trap. Anyway, Dean does the Hansel and Gretel thing of, like, the M&Ms, and they... Sam and Ben go to the Danger Do Not Enter cave. Uh, they're walking around. They fall through the floor because, of course, they do because it's a condemned mineshaft. Um, note, in this episode, Dean's the one in danger. In the previous one, Sam was the one in danger. I feel like this is a counter we could possibly have. Then we have Dean finds some flare guns. They find... What was the guy's name? Tommy. Tommy. Tommy's been, like, half-eaten, which is implied. Dean's causing a dis distraction in the mineshafts. And that, let me tell you, that distraction, not good. Because it, it still goes after Sam and Haley and the others. <laughs> Sam is in the position that theoretically should be safer. Something, something, I don't know. I could make a point about self-sacrificing slash older sibling disorder slash younger sibling being the protected at all times something something i don't know um uh, and then we get a rubber monster and some cgi fire then we get everyone's going or everyone sort of shows up by everyone i mean like the ambulances and stuff and the police and Sam teaches the kid how to lie to cops. Yes. Uh, which, he was doing great. That kid was doing great for someone that was kind of scowling the entire episode in the corner. Um, and we get the thing that I was going to talk about, which is that Haley uh, gives Dean a little peck on the cheek, question mark. She kissed him on the cheek. Because Dean makes some quip. I forget the exact specifics of it. And she's Something like... about repaying him, right? Yeah. And she's like, must you cheapen the moment? And he's like, yeah, of course I... Sh of course I am. She definitely knows what the front is. And she's, like, kind of playing it off. Like, yeah, yeah, we both know kind of what's going on here. I'm gonna kiss you on the cheek and we're gonna have, like, a moment and then I'm gonna walk away. And we both know that this is, like quote-unquote, how it's supposed to play out, but also I see you as a fellow older sibling-slash-caretaker. I don't know. That was just something interesting for me. And then uh, Sam drives away. <laughs> Sam drives the Impala at the end of this episode. There's a lot of driving. There's a lot of Sam driving, specifically. Um, 
yeah. Anything else about the episode before I hop into my fun facts for this one? Like I said, I didn't have strong opinions on this one. I think I probably liked this one more than you did, but I also didn't like like this episode. So, like I mentioned, the coordinates in this episode are wrong. They actually point to a town in Arizona. Um, This would be fine as like, oh yeah, the Winchesters have their own custom understanding of coordinates as like a hidden code thing. Except Roy has the same coordinates on his like GPS tracker thing. So if they didn't have that, it could have just been a thing of like, oh, add this much to the latitude at the at this much to the longitude and that way no one knows where we are but Roy had the same coordinates so it didn't really work out um and then the songs there's I think one or two that are the same but when Sam wakes up from his nightmare in the car the song that is supposed to be playing is hot-blooded by foreigner and when they're sitting at the bar with the laptop it's actually supposed to be down south jukin by Leonard Skinnerd Okay. So episode three, Dead in the Water, brings us our first Sarah Gamble written episode. Yeah. Uh, it's also written by <laughs> it's also written by Rael Tucker and it's directed by Kim Manners. And Kim Manners uh, actually took over for David Nutter after David left for the pilot. He also was apparently famous TV director. Yeah, I know he's kind of more so in the in the family. In the, like, Supernatural family. Yeah, so he was sort of... He became the director for a very good chunk of episodes. I think he directed a total of close to 20. Um, and then he was also an executive producer. Yeah, and then some notes about Sarah Gamble and Rail Tucker. Uh, Sarah was actually, like, 22 when she wrote this episode. Yeah, she's basically Sam's age throughout the, the run of the show. Which is crazy, especially when you think about the fact that she went on to take over as showrunner for season six, which isn't that far off. And then Rail Tucker um, is probably most famous for being, I'm not sure if she was a writer, but she was definitely an executive producer on True Blood, which we both have intimate knowledge of. (laughs) Do you know what seasons off the top of your head she worked on True Blood? Not that it matters. I would guess the whole thing because she was just, like, on the list of executive producers. Um, let me see real oh, quick. Oh, apparently she is also a writer. For tr- was also a writer for True Blood. Uh, 2008 to 2013. So, like, all of it. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, Sam and Dean investigate a series of unnatural drownings caused by a vengeful spirit. Ooh. Just to get us kicked off overall... Uh, I think it's a better Monster of the Week episode. Not particularly scary, but I thought it had some fun lore. Um, and it, I think this episode overall does a lot of peeling back of some of the characters' layers and sort of establishes who they are and their fronts a bit more. Yes, even if it's sometimes a little bit clunky. This episode... It might have just been, again, because of the freezing thing. I found this one's pacing to be a little bit worse than the other two. Which is strange, because I'm usually, like, rooting for this episode. (laughs) The pacing felt a little bit off, but it might have just been because they didn't have any, like, 
additional stuff around it necessarily. I haven't had a chance to look this up, but I wonder if it's like Sarah Gamble and Rail Tucker, like one of their first episodes written, which wouldn't surprise me because it seems like they were both pretty young when this came out. But anyway, we start with a cold open. We have Bill's family. There's like a vaguely sexist quip about like, guys don't like buff girls. The daughter goes to swim in the lake. I am once again reminded how much I hate swimming in lakes. And we get the daughter dragged under and a weird slow-mo shot of the water. So it's pretty much just establishing people are drowning in these lakes. There's a family. There's a dad. Mom seems to be out of the picture, etc., etc. Any other thoughts about the cold open? The lighting is so bad. (laughs) Yeah, I wasn't sure if it was just my TV or if it was actually the lighting, but it really is. It's so gray in this episode, and I don't know why. The color balance, the, like, washout of the faces, I don't know. That was just something I kept thinking about, because it's the roughest visually. Yeah. Um. Um, But then... After we see our cold open murder, we head to the diner where the boys are acting like serial killers. Yeah, again, with a cutout. Um, are, are they looking on the laptop? It doesn't really matter. Um, no, they have, like, newspapers in front of them. <laughs> yeah. They basically find this girl that's drowned. They find out that a bunch of people have drowned in the lake recently. And they go to the police station to try to find some more information. Uh, Do they go? Yes, they do, because we see Skunk Stripe Guy. I hate his hair. I think it might be his actual hair. Um, His name is apparently Jake, the, like, police sheriff dad. I literally only caught that this time. Um, um, We get a second mention of two years since... Sam last uh, was with John and Dean, which is a holdover, again, from when Sam was supposed to be 20. This is before. This is when they're talking in the diner. Um, We get a note about the lake and how it's going to dry up soon because the dam doesn't have the funds to be maintained. Um, Supernatural says... At the government. <laughs> and then we get Amy Acker. I love Amy Acker. What's the actual character's name? Andrea? Andrea? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's Andrea. Um, And then we get the kid. Lucas? Yes. Lucas. Which the question of everyone has is how old is this kid supposed to be? The actor was like eight when they filmed it. Okay. I believe in the, the script from SuperWiki says that he's nine. Okay. That would make sense. Because if they were writing this episode with the thought that Sam was 20 and Dean was 26, then like six and eight, nine-ish... Versus, like, four and eight, nine-ish makes a little bit more sense. When Dean's later having the conversation with the kid, and it's like, when I was your age, I saw something really bad happen to my mom. Because I feel like that's where I was personally getting tripped up of, like, this 
is kind of different, but if they were writing under the impression that Dean was, like, around 6-7 when the fire happened, that makes a little bit more sense. Like we said in the first episode, they didn't really seem like they were following a super strict show bible, or at least they weren't going through and combing through to make sure that if they changed something in the lore, everything retroactively fit it, so... But at the same time, it's like, does anybody know how old kids are? You see somebody who's 10 and you're like, yeah, I was that age in kindergarten. Yeah. Um, I don't think until this rewatch I realized what the connection between everyone in the episode was. Like, Bill and all of his family, and then Bill was friends with Skunk Tail Guy. <laughs> skunk Stripe Guy, who is the cop who's son-in-law is the first person that died who is lucas's father and amy Acker's husband her husband is also bill's godson i think i was not keeping close enough track of that i know but someone mentioned a godson and i was like oh so that like your families are close it's not just these two random guys were friends as kids and accidentally murdered this other kid in the present day, your two families are close, which is also part of why it's going after, like, people that aren't necessarily directly related to you, the, the, um, head of the household. Okay. Um, something that I found really funny that probably, that is definitely not supposed to be funny is when they first meet Lucas, Sam, yeah. Sam goes, is he Okay. And I'm like, Sam, you can't just ask that. <laughs> Sam, you can't just ask traumatized children if they're okay. <laughs> also, we get the moment of uh, Sam asking Dean if he even knows any kids. Name three kids you even know. He doesn't need to name three kids he even knows. Because he could tell you so many things about your childhood you couldn't even remember, Samuel. I will say that is in reference to Dean vaguely flirting at Amy Acker via her son, so... <laughs> How else are you supposed to hit on a MILF? How else are you supposed to hit on a MILF? Um, Dean and Lucas have a little moment. Some of the writing's a little bit clunky, but the scene still does hurt me. So, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I forgot that it was established now that, like, Dean saw his mom die on the ceiling... <laughs> And also that he's, like, he was affected by it as a kid. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not just, like, ever, like, growing up and so sort of processing the extent of what happened. Like, as a kid, it affected him. I'm pretty sure in the episode they mentioned, like, he didn't talk. He didn't feel like talking for a while. And, he, like, drawing and Jensen There's... does his little stick figure drawings. There's something else that I wanted to say about... I'm trying to remember what it was. Um, yes, I was think, it about not since um, it might have been. This might have actually been the second time they talked to the kid and get more drawings from him, but Dean makes the comment of he thinks about his mom and how his mom would have wanted him to be brave even though he was like so scared and didn't want to talk and all of that 
And I just wonder, do you think that's something he truly thought of, of like, oh, my mom would want me to be brave? Or do you think that's something that his dad instilled in him when he was like feeling sad and understandably afraid of the supernatural that he has to be brave because it's what his mom would have wanted? When notably, we know some things about how his mom would have wanted him raised in regards to this. Yeah, I feel like it would have been John talking about you have to be brave and we're doing this for your mom. And then maybe Dean in his head connected those two things of like, I have to be brave because my mom would have wanted me to be brave and do this for like to help my dad figure out what happened. Also, I feel like it is important to say it does really depend on whether or not he was four or six, which, like, we know in the accepted canon, he was four. But maybe they weren't writing with that in mind quite yet. Anyway, shifting gears, we get the the line, not since his father's accident, <laughs> verbatim. Not since the accident. <laughs> not since the accident. Such a perfect line. Um, and then we get my least favorite scene in the sink. Ugh. Ugh, I hate it so much. It's so gross. I was thinking, like, why is he putting his hand in there? But then I was like, I also grew up in the Midwest. And, you know, sometimes uh, we had well water. And sometimes well water does just do that. Like, it means something horrible has happened. Or not necessarily horrible. But but so it shit like that does happen. But it's still, like, just put your whole hand in there like no there's some serious germs in that my guy yeah um and then he gets drowned in his sink and then we have the scene i think this might have been the scene you're talking about with lucas i think it goes back to them talking with lucas because sam mentioned something about like kids developing psychic abilities this will become important later um we get some dean repressing (laughs) By being like, Sam, I don't want to talk about it. We're not going to talk about it. And then we get a scene where... Or no, no, no. This is when they go talk to the to Peter's mom. We have some heavy-handed mirroring of the dialogue between Bill and the mom. She talks about um, how losing your child, it's worse than dying. Like, the pain is worse than dying. And I wasn't sure if that was an intentional choice to show the influence of the ghost on Bill, or if it was just heavy-handed mirroring work within the dialogue itself. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, because I also um, made a note of that, because we do sort of find out that that is the ghost's goal, is to kill everyone they love to make make, um, Bill and Jake the sheriff. Jake. Yes. Um, feel like his mom felt. I don't think that's been established yet. Like, they're, those lines were leading up to the reveal of what the ghost is doing. Yeah. And then boys get in the car, they go back to the lake, and they have perfect timing to see Bill get blown up, <laughs> uh, <laughs> ride out into the middle of the lake, and then get, like, comedy blown up. Yeah. And drown in the water. Then I think they get taken in by the sheriff. I'm not sure. Um, Jake. Or they drive in on purpose. Uh, they're going to confront him because the sheriff's acting really sus. 
Um, Tries to run him out of town. Yeah, Dean's not really having it. Sam says, okay, I don't care about these guys. Yeah, Sam's like, I don't care about these people. Like, let's leave. Dean has a bad feeling about it, so he has them go back. And Amy Acker getting into a tub that she's running water in, but she doesn't shut off the water. (laughs) That tub is full. The tub, the water level in the tub is inconsistent. Because sometimes it'll be, like, full to the brim, and sometimes it'll be, like, down near her shoulders. And it's like, yeah, you can have your, like exploitative shot of a woman in a bathtub but at least have it be consistent and realistic amy acker i swear i was looking respectfully uh yeah i swear i was looking so respectfully (laughs) um and then we get the black water lucas is like banging on the door dean and sam come in perfect timing lucas opens the door for them and then dean kicks in the door door and he picks up lucas so he's not in the water and then Sam, like, yanks Amy Acker out of the the bathtub. Yeah. Very aggressively. and It was like pulling her back down. It's No, no, no. That's not what I meant. I meant, like, something about the, like... Uh, it's like when you have stage actors trying to pretend that they're drinking water. It was, like... It was kind of like that. Something about that. <laughs> but it doesn't matter. It's, like, fake water demon like ghost it's not a demon it's a ghost it's a ghost that controls water yeah um which by the way in terms of monster of the week can ghosts just control things like that why is this ghost able to control water yes they can okay this comes up later i just i couldn't i didn't know or i guess not really later it does come up now um the kid got drowned in the lake it's fair enough yeah i i I accepted it but they just haven't been establishing the ground rules for their ghosts very well they specifically make a point of, like, the kid got drowned in the lake and then they dumped his body in the lake. So I'm assuming, like, the body got subsumed by the lake because they also didn't find... Although it was the guy that murdered him that said that they couldn't find anything when they were digging up the bottom, but if he just, like, decomposed into the lake, it would make sense for him to be, like, taking over the water, I guess. Maybe. I'll accept it. I'll accept it. It's fine. There's no glaring inconsistencies for me. (laughs) So we get a scene of them confronting, next to the lake, confronting uh, Jake, who is poorly hiding the fact that he murdered this kid. I just want to say, everybody, hands up if you wouldn't be surprised if your dad actually committed murder at some point in his life. This is a podcast. We can't see you. I would... (laughs) be surprised (laughs) it was more of a rhetorical question just hands up guys (laughs) rip to you but i'm different um but uh so then we get the reveal of how he died and was drowned in the lake yeah how they were like just just guys being dudes guys being dudes and then does lucas dive into the lake or something he like somehow ends up in the lake yeah just doing dumb kid shit he reaches his hand into the lake while they're all arguing about whether or not Jake murdered this kid. And he gets pulled in and that kind of snaps everyone out of it. There's a scene, the brothers are like trying to fish him out. They tell Andrea to stay out. I think that's the first time I've called her Andrea and not Amy Acker. Um, <laughs> and then Mr. Sheriff Man with the weird hair walks into the lake and gives himself up to the ghost, which then lets Dean save the kid. Woo! 
Woohoo! A happy ending for everybody. <laughs> a happy ending for everybody. And then uh, Amy Acker and Lucas bring them some food for the road. And that's basically the episode. Then well, Dean gets another little kissy. The end. The end. Any thoughts on this episode before I go into fun facts? I think, like I said, I found this one more enjoyable than episode two, but looking back on it and talking through it, there wasn't anything particularly <laughs> great about it. I don't know why I enjoy this one. I guess for me, it's weird that you say that the second one felt more low stakes, but because weirdly, even though more people were dying in this one, this one felt more low stakes because it was like once the ghost kills all of the people in these families like it's just gonna probably stop yeah but i guess i cared more about these people (laughs) that's fair yeah i don't know i guess i liked the um learning more about dean learning more about the trauma of watching your mother die i don't know Episode two had more, like, anger in it, and then this one had more sadness, and I just found it more compelling, I guess. Not that it necessarily was better written or anything like that. I guess just, for me, the emotions that I was interested in happened more. That is understandable. I think, and it might have been just because, like, if the last episode was really glitching out, this one was really glitching out. (laughs) I don't know if it's because of that, but the pacing for this one felt off. It felt more off. And I don't know if that's just because I had to take, like, random 20-minute breaks. That probably added to it, because it was, like, in random spots. But overall, I uh, like this one. For some fun facts, really quick, before we wrap up, some song differences between Netflix and the official DVD slash broadcast versions. When they arrive at the lake at the beginning, um, the song is supposed to be Round and Round by Rat. I don't know what song that is, <laughs> to be honest. Um, for the, like, we don't have to hug scene when they're in the car, the song that's playing in the background is supposed to be Two Days Gone by Billy Squire. And when they drive away at the end, it's Moving On by Bad Company. So I had to do math to figure out how old this child actor is. (laughs) And he must have been like around eight. He's just like a Vancouver child actor. He stopped acting in like 2013. Mm -hmm. But he was um, six in 2003 in the Twilight Zone. So he must have been like, like I said, like around eight in 2005 when they were filming it. I don't know if they just decided to throw out the age of the kid based on the script or what, but... Um, and then the last thing, I when I read this on SuperWiki, it drove me insane. The um, Apparently Amy Acker said, <laughs> said the, the bathtub water to get it that brown they put like i don't i assume she meant like chocolate milk syrup because now that she says it it does kind of look like that like chocolate milk syrup in water Mm -hmm. but i don't like that i mean better than dirty water (laughs) yeah so that is it for this episode so next week we will be talking about phantom traveler bloody mary Skin and Hookman. Bye. <laughs> we need a better send off. We need a better send off, yeah. <laughs> That's not all good. <laughs>